get your car washed because it's probably dirty right now. Whether it's you know washing all the germs out, you want to get obviously the germs out of your car, but also you want it to look really nice. Go to Tommy's Express Car Wash. It's wash, rinse, repeat with Tommy's. And guess what? They have an app. It's the Tommy Club app. So download it. I know you have a smartphone, so you're going to be able to download apps. You don't have a flip phone if you're listening to this podcast. I'm just assuming that. And if you do, more power to you. But if you do, then you're missing out on this great deal. Because if you download the Tommy Club app today, you're going to enjoy endless washing for one low price. Endless washing for one low price at Tommy's Express Car Wash. That's unlimited car washes, unlimited clean, shiny, and dry. Unlimited use of exclusive app lane at Tommy's. Unlimited access to all the Tommy's locations. And there are a lot of them. Unlimited guest service. Most importantly, unlimited happiness. That's a Tommy's Express Car Wash. Got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. F- that. You don't got time to say. All right, let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Schwert and Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. We have got some big news for you to start the day. This is the best news I've heard in quite some time. Mike Krzyzewski is stepping down from his position as the lead authoritarian figure of Duke basketball, the Brotherhood loses their leader. Their father. Their fearless father. leader. The only way this news could be better is if it was effective immediately. <laughs> but no, Coach K, who has long said he doesn't want a farewell tour. You just got one. You just signed up for one, Bobby. You know what the thing is with this is he said that he didn't want a farewell tour, but he's felt bad about telling recruits that he's going to be there longer than when he really is. So the courage of Coach Mm -hmm. K to step down now for the recruits. You know what would have been really funny if he I mean, it wouldn't have been funny, but it would have been right up Coach K's alley if he would have announced this on Memorial Day. He's like, well, I went to Army. I went to Army. I thought this would be best for the troops. Listen to this from Jeff Goodman. He said, quote, He's obviously nearing the end of his career, but name, image, and likeness coming into college basketball and the transfer portal being out of control definitely sped up his timeline. That is according to a source coach uh, close to Coach K. Hmm. So, I'm just confused here because... A guy who has, over the last decade, benefited the most from the one-and-done rule with all these new players coming in and out of his program is now unhappy with the transfer rule? Well, yeah. I mean, listen. Let's just take inventory here. Is Coach K the highest-paid college basketball coach in the country? Yes, he happens to be. Um, Is he also getting a large cut of his money directly from Nike, the apparel company? Yes, he is. Has Coach K amassed a, a, ma- a mountain of wealth 
over the past 30-plus years largely on the backs of teenage unpaid laborers. Some would say yes. In fact, he has. Which is why I think it, it takes a lot of courage for him to say, oh, wait a minute. You're gonna you're gonna slide you're gonna compensate those said players by a fraction of, of how I'm being compensated. You're you're just gonna give them their worth, their market value. Like it takes a lot of courage for him to see that and say, Of course I can't go on any longer. Like he sees his control being ripped away and handed into the hands of the players, and I for one commend him for using that as an opportunity to say, I can no longer hold to this position in college basketball. Good for him, man. Mm. Good for him. Did Nate Oates bury Coach K? <laughs> what do you mean did he bury Remember him? over last season, um, Coach K said something about like not wanting to play anymore? You know, something stupid. They actually oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. were losing some games. He oh, was like, yeah. well, maybe we shouldn't be playing. Like, and Nate Oates here? was like, come on, dude. You know, he didn't just say, come on, dude. He said, would they be saying that if like, they weren't on a three-game Like, did that streak? bury Coach K? Because, I mean, you can say about the NIL stuff and the transfer stuff. You know, if we're back in the the early 2000s, we're back in the early 2010s, we're back in the 90s, nobody's speaking back to Coach K. Was that, was that to him enough to say, oh, no, I've lost it. I have other coaches coming back at me. What if they do that again? What if they have another bad season? And he steps he says, down. I mid-year. shouldn't have been coaching. This yeah, year. I knew. I knew. I you know. I I knew I shouldn't have come back this year. And but I, I did it. For thought the about kids. it. And yeah, I did it for the. I owed the it. I owed it to these seniors. kids. I can't wait for every college basketball columnist in the country to write the. You didn't always have to like him, but you had to respect him. Column on Coach K because those are coming. Mm, yeah. Every single national college writer, and maybe even some locals. And the local ones, here's what the local ones would do. The local ones may write about how Coach K had an impact on, on your program and you didn't even know it. Listen, you don't have to like him, but you have to respect him. In fact, I, 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 I find that to be a disagreeable statement because nor did I like Coach K. I also don't really respect him either. It's like that. Like, don't let the door hit you on the way out. See you later. I'm sorry. This is not the high road, but I don't know anybody in the... If you, if you are a college basketball fan and you are acting like you're going to, like, you know, th- give him his flowers and that you're going to be sad to see him go, you are lying through your teeth. There is not a college basketball fan in the country that is not a Duke fan that is not happy to see Coach K gone. No, it's it, it could be weird because, you know, normally you get, like, these retirement tours where at the end of it you see the player, the coach, and you're like, man, that'd be kind of cool for him to like go out into the sunset, you know, get get one last championship. I think that's going to be like the complete opposite in the March Madness. That is the worst thing that could ever happen to yeah. college basketball. I may I may never recover from that. <laughs> if if Duke wins a title in Coach K's last year, I don't know if there's any coming back from that. Are they supposed to be good this year? I mean, it's always hard to tell They're because gonna you bring don't know in a how top the, yeah, the freshmen are, are merging, but I think they have three top 10 kids, so probably. Ugh. That can't happen. We can't no, allow that we, to happen. We can't. Uh, somebody needs to, like, find the bag Nike paid one of these kids. Um, do you think we would have enough ammo? I mean, I, I know the answer. This is almost like, you know, when you're an attorney, 
you ask somebody a question you know the answer to, right? You're not just going to ask a random question. Do you think we have enough ammo if we wanted to do a let's rank stuff of the worst things Coach K did? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. I would like to explore that down the road. I don't know if it's necessarily the worst things no, he did, the most yeah. insufferable. I yeah, think that's yeah. the way to look at it. The most insufferable yes. things Coach K did while at Duke. Yeah, because I don't think some of these things are like, wow, you're a terrible person. It's just like, come on, dude. No, I'm not saying that. I'm right. not saying he's yeah, a bad yeah. person. I'm saying he's insufferable. Yes. We do things differently. Yeah. We aren't just building basketball players. We're building men, and nobody else is doing that. We are the ones who are doing that. It's my job as a coach to chastise players on other teams yeah. for not respecting the game Dylan the right Brooks. way. They need to know. They need to know. Like, he has, for the longest time, been the, you know, the bastion of integrity of college basketball when nobody asked him to hold that position. Yep. There nobody are many cases him. of him doing the complete opposite. Like, remember when it was a couple years ago, like, North Carolina, they beat him, I thought, pretty badly. And he just, like, left the court, didn't shake Roy Williams' hand. I do remember that. Um, there's always going to be the gif of him falling down and going into the fetal <laughs> <Yeah>. position <laughs> on the sideline. Yeah, man, he's just like a... Like, he gets away for complaining calls more than any coach ever did. Like, not like a... It's one thing for uh, a a broadcaster to complain about the calls that a team is getting. But... I just the, like the the constant playing of the victim card of like I can't believe they're making us do this and like we're having to play a season here and we're having to go after now these players who all they want to do is go to the NBA it's not right and I can't believe we're having to recruit these players that can now make money off their name image and likeness come on man remember when uh, you like yelled at Carlos Boozer for declaring for the draft after his like junior year <laughs> man he is uh he's a unique cat. And uh, there will, I'm sure, be somebody somewhere that will miss him. John Shire is set to take over. Former Duke player set to take over as the new head coach. Those announcements were made basically simultaneously. Now, nothing formally has come from Duke. These are all reports, but everybody's saying it. And uh, uh, Jeff Goodman, in fact, just tweeted uh, a few minutes ago that John Shire has been approved as the next head coach, uh, according to his sources. So... Coach K out, John Shire in. John Shire has been an assistant on the staff since 2014. He was an assistant for four years, and in those four years, he impressed Coach K so much to the point where in 2018, he was made the assistant or the associate head coach at Duke. So now you've got Hubert Davis taking over at North Carolina, former North Carolina player, Roy Williams' disciple. You've got John Shire taking over at Duke, former... Duke player, Coach K disciple. Now we have to wonder if and when Bill Self decides to leave Kansas, who will he choose as his successor? Now, I would like to think that not every this is not going to become a trend where every coach, most schools don't want to do that. Most schools don't want to hand the keys over to the former coach. It was like, uh, it's a little bit different, maybe a little nepotism with Bill Snyder when he wanted to leave and he wanted to leave year after year, but he also wanted his son, Sean Snyder, to get taken over. And literally nobody else wanted Sean Snyder to take the job. Didn't this happen with Bobby Bowden, too, at Florida State, where he wanted to leave and he wanted to, to name his son? And they were just like, sorry, man, like you can do. we're going to keep you here as long as you want, which they didn't, but you don't get to name your successor because there's always other factors in line there. And I think the biggest factor in line 
is that when you get to name your successor, are you doing it because you think it's the right coach? Are you doing it because you think it furthers your legacy? Right? Because imagine that. If John Shire... But that's the thing. If, if it is great, then fantastic. Because that's all anybody wants is just to have a good head coach. But you have to wonder, is this being evaluated properly? Or was this in the works of the past couple of years where he said, oh, I found my successor. I'm going to name him. And then the Coach K legacy will, build, will live on because they'll say, not just was he the greatest coach ever, but one of his players became the next great coach in college basketball. Yeah, that's definitely possible. I just think it's a little weird that you wouldn't even like, you know you have this full season now. You could use the full season to evaluate other candidates. You could use the full season to evaluate John Shire. Like, the fact that they're basically giving it to him right now. That's the thing. Like, what if Coach K this year is like, hey, since I know you're going to be the head coach next year, like, I'm going to turn a few duties your way. Or, like, I'm going to, you know, before this game, instead of me giving, like, the pregame speech or instead of me, like, going over the X's and O's of everything, I'm going to let you do it for this game. And they, they allow him some of those things he wasn't doing in the past as an associate head coach. And they're like, oh, no, what did we do here? We made a mistake. I don't understand why you wouldn't at least take the year to kind of evaluate That's the that. thing, man. How many great coaches are there in college basketball? How many great coaches? Not like, oh, he's done a good job. How many guys would you look at and say they they probably could have success anywhere? Mm-hmm. It's a shorter list than you think. And maybe it's maybe they think it's specific to places like North Carolina. Like, you got to be a special cut at North Carolina. Or you got to be a special type of guy. To coach at Duke, which, by the way, is hogwash. It yeah, is. The whole Anybody could do thing. it. You know why? Yeah. You know why? Because you're Duke, and you're North Carolina, and those are two of the best jobs in the country. You have all the resources you could ever want. Mm-hmm. You you have the, the recruiting, fertile recruiting grounds, and also you can go anywhere and get anyone and flash that logo and bring them to your arena, and it's the same thing here at Kansas, man. It is the exact same thing at Kansas. And to think it takes a certain guy, not everybody can win there. No, it's the exact opposite. Like, not everybody can win in Lubbock. Not everybody can win at Texas Tech, okay? Not everybody can win at Baylor. Everybody can win at North Carolina and Duke and Kansas. So, I find it a little bit hypocritical to to act that way. Again, all you want to do is find that right guy, but the fact that there are so few great coaches in college basketball would lend itself to going out and having the most robust coaching search you could possibly have. And two storied programs, North Carolina and Duke, did not do that at all. And North Carolina... It makes sense that they hired Hubert Davis, I mean, because look at who else they hired. Roy Williams, Matt Doherty, Dean Smith. I mean, North Carolina, North Carolina, North Carolina, North Carolina guy. Like, that's all they're ever going to do. Kansas guy, I'm sorry. They're only ever going to hire Carolina guys. And Duke hasn't had to make a coaching hire in 40 years, so it would make sense that they're going to keep hiring Duke guys. But I don't know. I hope Kansas doesn't become that. I really don't. Um, I don't hope because that doesn't mean anything to me unless you guys just like you know leaving the sports bar with your letterman jackets on and and patting each other on the butts and say he's he's one of us man no it doesn't matter go get the best coach yeah get the best coach um i mean you have so many examples bill self is not a kansas guy comes to kansas uh dean smith was a kansas guy goes to north carolina um coach k was what like an army guy and goes to duke he wasn't in the duke family um john calipari he wasn't a Kentucky guy. Goes to Kentucky. You can keep going down the list and finding all these guys that are examples. Nate Oates at Alabama. Oh, he he was a high school coach in like not New York. An Alabama guy. Goes to Buffalo. Had no ties to the South. That's worked out okay. Mick Cronin. Where are his <laughs> ties to UCLA? You know, like if you're a good coach, you're gonna make it work. So I don't know. I I would be head scratching this if I was a Duke fan, but uh, 
hey, maybe that's what we but need. But if he's good, it's good. You know? If he's good but, and it works, then that's but fine. But counterpoint, like how, how soon would we have to get if John Shire doesn't work and they have to hire another coach in three years and he doesn't work either, at what point do we start teetering his Duke of Blue Blood anymore? Because Dude, at that point, stop it, it. it would only be under one coach. It's the same stuff we argue about UCLA. I think they went to a Final Four under the other guy. Okay, well, before we don't win. Coach we talk, we, we say right, UCLA is not a blue blood, and they want a title. Okay, but then how about this? My my question, I would answer your question with another question. Is it even possible to tank at Duke? Is it even possible to not have success? You're going to get the recruits. Um, and when I, cause when I look at the other programs that we said, well, it happened there, it's a different era now where at Duke – you know you're going to get good recruiting. Classes. I guess I'm just I'm just waiting to see how much of that is because you had Coach K. Like Kentucky, North Carolina, Kansas. I'm not saying like you could argue Duke is the number two blue blood. For instance, you know you can make that argument. But the one thing they haven't had that those other three have success under multiple coaches or continued sustained success under multiple coaches. So I'm not saying it won't happen. I just I don't know. You never know. You never know. Well, it's a great. It's yeah. a great way. No, but like, what if they're Georgetown? We need to end every segment no. with that. But no, then like again, Georgetown. You never know. Georgetown. Perfect example. Georgetown had sustained success under John Thompson. They had solid success under his son. But like, what is Georgetown now? Yeah. What well, with with um with North Carolina, like you had sustained success with one guy, Dean Smith. Had another couple guys didn't work, and then. You go get another North Carolina guy. Boom. So now you've got the track record. You say, well, we got two of them that have worked, so that's the way we're going to go forever. But then again, if Hubert Davis peters out in a couple of years, they may say, okay, let's just go get the best coach. Same thing with John Shire. If he peters out and they, they're not competing for a title because, hey, guess what? That's the expectations at North, at North Carolina and Duke. It's not just, hey, they're solid. Like they're a, they're a top 10, 15 program every year. Uh, nah, I don't know what you think you're signing up for. Like you're – being expected to compete for championships every single year. And if you don't, if you don't, I promise you that fan base is going to call for the administration to go look for somebody else. I guarantee it. So you got to be careful. That's why if you hire John Shire and you hire Hubert Davis, you better be damn sure that they're the best coach you can get. You better be damn sure that nobody could possibly be a better choice for that job. Because if you're wrong, you're going to pay for it. All right, it's 20 past the hour. You're listening to Rock Chuck Sports Talk. It's about 20 till the hour, and this is Rock Chuck Sports Talk with Derek Johnson. I'm Nick Schwartz. Big news of the day. Coach K is out after this season. And honestly, I mean, what if he just decides, you know what, this is going pretty well. John, why don't you take a back seat for a couple more years? Daddy's going to re-up the contract from Nike, and uh, I don't know. Let's reassess in five years. Probably not going to happen. This has kind of felt like maybe it's been coming for for quite some time, but interesting to hear from Jeff Goodman that name, image, and likeness and the transfer portal maybe sped up the process. Uh, it's, uh, it's a bit strange, but also a bit on brand. Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star joins us now on the show. Jesse, are you surprised that that part, that the name, image, and likeness stuff would make a guy like Coach K say, you know what, actually, I'm, I'm about done here in college basketball? <laughs> um, well, it's sort of like maybe saying the quiet part out loud, you know, and I'm sure 
when he'll be interviewed that something he will not talk about or deny that that happened. So it's sort of weird it came out in a report like that. But, yeah, I mean, listen, college basketball landscape is changing. And um, for people who are the old guard or people that are used to a certain way of doing things, it's got to be tough to adjust and adapt because it is totally different. And we talked to Musa, and it gets, it's crazy. I mean, think about KU basketball moving forward with the new transfer portal. Um you know, I saw a tweet online from an anonymous coach. I think it was Fran Fischel that had it, where he talked about in college basketball now you have free agency and you have the draft. And if you can build completely through free agency, why wouldn't you? And Bill Self had a quote to our Gary Bedorf sort of like this as well. Like, hey, everybody get used to this. You know, having 10 new additions in an offseason and having the transfer portal help you out this much when you're at Kansas, that, that's the reality now. And if you don't adapt, you're going to die, that sort of thing. So, yeah, the, the the landscape is shifting very quickly, and this is not going to be maybe the college basketball that Coach K was so used to for decades and decades at a time. But uh, still a little bit surprising to see that come out in public and that be a main reason for it. Again, that's probably just something that is best left unsaid and uh, for Coach K to sort of ride off into the sunset and take all the, the props he's sure to get from national media, coaches, fans, all that sort of thing on his way out. So we'll see how it all turns out. Like I said, I don't think that's something he'll talk about publicly, but um, it does make some sense. If you're the old guard and you're used to one way of doing things, college basketball is about to change uh, whether you're a part of it or not. So with North Carolina hiring Hubert Davis, Coach K stepping down, his disciple John Shire set to be the new coach after this coming season at Duke, who does KU end up hiring? Which Bill self-disciple does KU hire to replace him someday since that's just the way we're doing coaching hirings at Blue Bloods now, I guess? Yeah, and you set up on a tee for me, right? You you put in the old Brady Morningstar photo on Twitter. And there you I go. That's my that's Aaron mean, Miles photo on Twitter. You know, I mean, that's... Aaron Miles, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, well, again, I mean, this is, this is no inside knowledge. This is no, like, hey, I know this is going to happen or anything like that, so I don't want to pretend that's the case. But, yeah, if you're looking at KU's roster, I mean, who is the next up-and-coming thing? Who's the guy that most naturally fits? Who's the guy that... Um, wouldn't be a surprise if he was the next addition to KU's coaching staff if he wanted that sort of role. Who's had success, uh, at least had some head coaching experience at the G League level and, and been on NBA staffs. I mean, Aaron is sort of the guy. Uh, a lot of the discussion in the last 19 years when Phil Self has remained at Kansas is, is always a fun offseason discussion, even though it never happens, which is like, who would replace Phil Self? Who would be the, the guy with KU ties would be the most natural fit? And, to be honest with you, there really hasn't been a natural fit because there hasn't been uh, somebody that would be that, that perfect blend of all that uh, is needed with this particular job. But, um, yeah, Aaron Miles' youngest, again, experience for his level is pretty good. If he had interest in the job, uh, he wouldn't walk into this thing totally unprepared. So I would say that's as good a guess as any if you're going to talk about uh, protégés or guys under Bill Self that have have been there and potentially could be the next head coach at Kansas. Obviously, they would have lots of candidates from lots of different places and lots of them without KU ties. But if you're going to make me choose somebody at this moment in time that would be somebody who had played for Bill Self, I would definitely say Aaron Miles would be at the very top of the list. You're right. You're right, Jesse. They would have a lot of interest from people without KU ties, as I'm sure North Carolina did, as I'm sure Duke did. And I don't know what was... Did with what, what sort of recon work was done behind the scenes, but at least publicly, I mean, there weren't much of coaching searches going on for North Carolina or Duke. Like once those coaches announced they were stepping down, those programs pretty quickly were zeroed in on Hubert Davis and John Shire. I mean, in the case of John Shire, the announcement was almost made. I know not officially, but 
simultaneously as the announcement that Coach K was stepping down. Before we talk specifically about Kansas and if if that could happen, why do you think there is that desire for programs who could go out and get whoever they want to keep it effectively in-house with, quote-unquote, their guys? Well, I think the two situations you're looking at are sort of unique because those guys were both replacing Hall of Fame coaches, and those Hall of Fame coaches have gathered the respect over time, rightfully so, to say, hey, who, here's who I want out of my predecessor. Here's who I think the program should be left to. And that doesn't always work out for the best. It doesn't always um, have a happy ending in that in that regard. But I think, you know, when a coach has done so much for your school, your program, fundraising, donors, students, players, all that sort of thing, uh, it's sort of the respectful thing to do to say, hey, who do you think would be best? You know, we value your opinion because you have led the program to some serious heights over the years. Who do you think should be that guy? And so uh, for Coach K, that's John Shire. For Roy Williams, that was Hubert Davis. And, um, again, I'm not saying that's the correct way to hire. I'm not saying it's the incorrect way to hire. I just think it's the way naturally that sometimes things happen. You ask the guy on the way out when they retire who they think the next person would be. So those circumstances at Kansas, again, if if Bill Self is at Kansas for another 12 years and retires then and will be finishing up his 31st or 32nd season at Kansas, you can bet your bottom dollar, whoever the chancellor is at the time, whoever the athletic director is at the time, is going to go to Bill Self and say, hey, who do you think the next coach at Kansas should be? And he would be warranted to have that sort of respect and that sort of pull to say, here's the guy who I think uh, should be the next guy at Kansas, and, and potentially that guy that's going to already be on his staff. So I think that's sort of the unique circumstances with that one. Um, whether that would happen with KU or not it kind of remains to be seen based off what happens over the next few years with Bill Self at Kansas, but yeah, if he's ending a lifetime contract and retiring, I think you'll see something very similar. That that seems to be the way that most of these things go. I hate that though. I really do. I don't. I don't think that there's, and it's not. It's not like to to say that like Coach K or or Roy Williams wouldn't have a good idea of you know what if there are good candidates right there, but I, 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 there's obviously motivations to like Roy Williams. Like, well, I know him, and he's been on my staff, and he's one of my guys. With Coach K, I know him. He's been on my staff. I sort of circled his name several years ago when he joined my staff, and I made him the associate head coach. Like, this didn't just happen overnight. Like, I'm sure they've been thinking for several years, when I go, I want to hand the keys over to, to them. But I just, I, I guess I would disagree that it's, it's, it, it's their keys to hand over. You have, you're talking about the, the biggest and the best and the most historic basketball programs in the country. And I feel like you're doing yourself a disservice to just allow the guy who's stepping down to conduct your coaching search, which is effectively saying, hire my, hire my dude, right? As opposed to going out and finding the best candidates, because that's who you get to go interview when you're hiring for these sorts of jobs. Maybe. I mean, the other part about this one with Coach K, it's a little bit interesting, is he's going to be coaching the next season. And so um, from a continuity standpoint, it does make some sense to not just be like, well, we're recruiting you, but we don't know who the coach is going to be. Uh, that makes things kind of awkward. And again, um, it goes back to sort of a, a respect, if you will, which is Duke is going to let Coach K retire on his own terms. And that means he's going to have one more go-round, and they're not going to kick him to the curb like, hey, Coach K, you want to leave after this year? No, 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 you're going to leave now because of recruiting. I mean, that, that's not how it's going to work. So I, I see your point, but I, I'm just telling you how the world works, which is <laughs> when these guys retire and they get so much to the university and they've kept their programs at the upper level, the upper tier, 
you give that respect to them to, to say, hey, who, who do you think should be taking over? And we all know how college athletics works. I mean, if Hubert Davis doesn't win in the first two years, first yeah. three years, he's going to be out of there. And we saw that in North Carolina before Roy Williams, right? I mean, Bill Guthridge was in there. He had a little bit of success, went to a Final Four, didn't matter. Three years, he was out. And, and um, whoever Dean Smith thought was the right guy, it didn't matter. Um, I guess he thought it was Roy, but Roy turned it down the first time. But but it didn't matter. I mean, if you don't win, you're going to be out of there soon enough anyway. And uh, for the Blue Bloods or the Blue Blood, you figure that maybe they can withstand two or three years of uh, downtime if they get the right coach in there right after that anyway. So Maybe that's why um, KU's yeah, never had a bad hire. Because they've never done that. Uh, I mean, Fog that's Allen? where KU's really spoiled <laughs> right now, right? I mean, uh, the worst coach in history is probably James Naismith, right? Because he was the one basically saying, like, hey, this is not a sport that needs to be coached. It's a sport that should be played. And he had a losing record, all those sorts of things. So, yeah, when your worst coach is the inventor of the game, you're probably doing pretty well for yourself. And uh, not to mention the fact, so KU, uh, I'm going to get the numbers wrong, but what they've got nine official, eight official, nine official coaches in history. And um, me on the Kansas football beat has seen five different coaches or coaches hired, um, you know, in the last decade or so. So, uh, yeah, when KU football in the last two decades is catching up to KU basketball over the course of 120, 130 years, you've been doing pretty well for yourself when it comes to coaching hirings. And, and you're right, KU would definitely want to get the right guy in there. But um, if Bill Stoff's here for another 15 years, I can guarantee he's going to be part of that conversation. Jesse Newell, Kansas City Star, with us here on Rock Shark Sports Talk. So, I mean, seriously, let me ask you that. Right now, there's nobody. Right, if Bill Self did the same thing that Coach K did and said, "I'm retiring next year," well, there's not that former coach that he or former player that he coached, and and now he's taken under his wing as an assistant. Maybe you would say Jeremy Case, but like nobody's seriously considering that Jeremy Case is going to be the next Kansas coach. Maybe that's a different conversation we have in in several years. But I mean, do you do you think that that's likely that that would happen? Because I'm I'm almost to the point as well that. I don't necessarily think Bill Self would would not have an opinion, but Bill Self also strikes me as the type of guy who wouldn't make that like an impetus to say like no, I'm I'm picking my successor on my way out. Maybe I'm just totally wrong, but he seems to be cut just a little bit different than maybe Coach K and Roy Williams. Yeah, I mean, I I think you could definitely say that. Uh, I, I think that uh, especially. I don't know how to say this in the right terms when it comes to Coach K and Roy and be uh, sort of politically correct about it. But I would say the public-facing natures of Coach K and Roy Williams are much different from the public-facing nature of Bill Self, where, yes, I think a lot of the attention for Roy and Coach K a lot of times um, intentionally goes to Coach K and Roy, whereas a lot of times the focus on Bill Self he sort of deflects it. You know what I mean? He, he's more about others rather than himself, again, especially in those press conference settings. So you could be right with that. Um, I, I think you're right in another way, though, too, which is, and, and this is good for Kansas, that, you know, they have hired Bill Self and he's wanted to stick with the program and they've made him happy and he's signed the lifetime contract because, again, I think this is one of those moments and one of those points where you just say, there's not a great replacement right now. There's not a natural fit. There's not a slam dunk like Bill Self was, you know, 19 years ago to say, hey, this is the person that absolutely would lead the Kansas program from here forward. So um, Kansas is probably best not having that conversation, and that's why I think you've seen the university treat Bill Self the way it has here over the course of the last few years, and especially with the contract extension that he just got. So, yeah, it, it is an interesting discussion, but uh, like I said, I don't think it's a conversation Kay's going to have to be having just based off of the, the, the 
faith, the contract, the stability, everything that they've shown Bill Self over his time here. It seems like they've locked him up and made that very clear that they're that, that he is their guy. And um, because of that, he's remained loyal to them as well. So it seems like it's a marriage that's going to remain moving forward. I still like uh, I still like my my Brady Morningstar suggestion more than your Aaron Miles, and it's less about <laughs> it's less about qualifications and more about it would just be pretty funny. So, and that's what I'm going for. Um, well, uh, and let's not overlook Brady because he did he was the coach of the uh, TBT Kansas team, right? That's so, right. Uh, I can't say he doesn't have coaching experience. He definitely has that at least one or two games. I think it'd be cool if he ripped the sleeves off a suit and wore the T-shirt underneath. It's oh, casual wow. time now, so yeah, it's you can wear it now. You I can think, just wear the, yeah. the white T-shirt. But no, but I want I want the starting lineups. Like I want to say, and head coach Brady Morningstar, <laughs> and he rips off the suit. He's got a tearaway suit, and he rips it off, and he's got the jersey with the long baggy triple XLT underneath, like that. I want a showman, right? I don't want somebody who's just baseball there to, managers wear a jersey. Exact, Why can't he? It's the exact opposite of what I want for KU. I said with KU football, I want a guy who's just going to grind, get you know, get down to work, and not care about. Uh, per perceptions and, and media attention. I want the opposite for basketball. I think Brady's the guy. So I'm going to start my campaign now, get the ball rolling for whenever that job does come available. So you can you can do your thing for Aaron Miles. I'll do my thing for Brady Morningstar. We'll just see who wins out, okay? That sounds good. I bet the uh, Brady Morningstar for KU Coach website URL is probably still out there. So <laughs> you know, maybe for 10 bucks and a GoDaddy account, it, it might be yours. All right, I'll look into it. Jesse Newell, Kansas City Star. Thanks for the time, man. I appreciate it. All righty. That is Jesse Newell. He's Derek Johnson. I'm Nick Schwartz. You're listening to Rock Chuck Sports Talk. Father's Day is just around the corner, and you probably need a gift for a hairy dad. Make your dad proud this year and get him and yourself the Manscaped Lawn Mower 4.0. You heard that right. The Lawn Mower 4.0. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code RCST at manscaped.com. Manscaped is the only men's brand dedicated to below-the-waist grooming, and they just launched their Lawnmower 4.0. Imagine surprising your dad with a sleek, well-designed, and optimized body hair trimmer that says your balls will thank you on the box. Their fourth-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code RCST at manscaped.com. Get your dad a gift you know they'll use. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com when you use the code RCST. Don't forget that you came from your dad's balls. This year, show your original home some love with Manscaped. So normally he joins us on Mondays. We didn't have a show on Monday, so David Lesky of Royals Review inside the Crown Substack going to join us to talk about those Royals. Serious sweep. A lot of runs. 17 runs scored against the Pirates over the last two games. He'll join us coming up here about half an hour from now, but it's a Wednesday, so you know what time it is. It's time for another edition of the NFL Whip Around. Derek, get us going. If then, I give you the if scenario, you tell me the then. Bruce Arians. Here's his quote on quarterback rookie Kyle Trask, who they just drafted, compared to Andrew Luck as a rookie, who Bruce Arians had as well. Quote, mentally-wise, he's not far behind what Andrew did in the same offense, and what Andrew did that year is unbelievable. I'm not saying he's Andrew Luck, but mentally, he's still really sharp. So, 
If Kyle Trask is as strong mentally as Andrew Luck, then Tom Brady will work swiftly and find a way to get him traded. Wow. Because that's what happens if you are a sharp, young, promising quarterback sitting behind Tom Brady on the depth chart. Tom Brady does not want Bruce Arians to have a decision to make. He does not want his front office to think, wait a minute, are they looking to push me out? Because right now, of course, that would never happen. They're not not anywhere close to showing Tom Brady the door. But, you know, 11-5 season, maybe get bounced in the divisional round, come back the next year, lose in the conference championship, Brady throws a costly interception. Doubt starts to creep in. It happens all the time. I mean, we saw it happen in New England. Now, maybe this coaching staff's cut from a different cloth. This organization going to be a little bit more supportive of their quarterback. But I'm just telling you, man, once the fans start to say, okay, Brady, you got us the title, but now you're 45, now you're 46, whenever that day comes, and they'll say, clearly, his best ball is behind him. But can we at least acknowledge that that same thing that happened for basically seven or eight years in New England is at some point going to happen in Tampa Bay. There's going to be a point where Tom Brady doesn't look good. Fans start to say, okay, the young kid, the coaches love him, the players rave about him, made some great ball throws in training camp, preseason. Remember that preseason game he started? Like, that kind of stuff's going to happen. So if it does, Tom Brady's going to work swiftly, not wait around and say, I mean, if he sees him this, this summer in the preseason or in wherever training camp, he's going to say, oh, it's got to go. And he'll start working with his agent and his agent will start pulling some strings. His agent will start calling other teams being like, we want Kyle Trask. We'll overpay. We'll overpay whatever it takes. And eventually Tampa Bay will say, I don't know why all these teams are calling us about Kyle Trask, but uh, I guess we got to take this deal. It's too good to pass up, but you'll know, you'll know who was really orchestrating that behind the scenes. Uh, I'll just say I don't think Kyle Trask is going to be very good. I don't either, no. but <laughs> if he is, much. if he is. Uh, a report from Peter King came out that the Atlanta Falcons would accept a non-conditional second-round draft pick in return for Julio Jones. If that report is true, then... I mean, it opens up the field of teams who could probably trade for him. The big hurdle with Julio Jones has been and will remain finances. Do you have the cap room not just to take on his salary this year but over the next couple of years because if you're a team like the Chiefs who could you move some things around to make room for that 15.3 million dollars yeah what does that do for the other guys who are going to need contact contract extensions in coming years because yeah if you just told me would the Chiefs be willing to give up a second round pick for Julio Jones the answer is of course they would but what if that means you're not going to be able to extend Tyron Matthew what if that means you're not going to be able to extend Orlando Brown or Tyree Kill. I don't know if you'd be willing to do any of those just in order to get Julio Jones. But if it's a non-conditional second-round pick that the Falcons are after, I'll tell you right now, there's a lot of teams who would be willing to give that up. The, The question becomes, or has remained, do they have the money, do they have the cap space to absorb a very large contract that Julio Jones would be bringing with them? Yeah, I think this makes... I I don't understand how we haven't had a team make a trade for that yet because that seems like a very fair deal. Um, I I know you weren't listening to last week's show and further proof is the fact that I kind of went through the numbers and figured out how the Chiefs could make it work. So Mm. now that we're post-June 1st, the Chiefs could cut Anthony Hitchens and Derek Nottie 
and that would basically save them enough money to where they'd be able to keep him on cap this year. And Hitchens, you know, maybe he's one of your starters, but is he that good? And you just drafted two second-round linebackers. It's not a huge deal. Derek Nottie's not even your projected starting defensive tackle right now. So how big of a deal would that be? Um, moving forward, like you said, yes, it does create some possible cap headaches, but guess what? If you cut Frank Clark next year, post-June 1st, there's your money to sign Orlando Brown. You would have uh, about another, I think it was between like 8 and $10 million available um, at that point still to try to bring out Tyron Matthew. And that doesn't even count. Like, they converted. I, I don't know how the cap works. Like, they converted okay, well, Patrick not- Mahomes' uh, $23 million signing bonus to like a $17 million something and saved him $15 million in cap. So you do that, and all of a sudden you can sign Tyron Matthew too. So I, I don't know. I, I, I would do it if I was the Chiefs. I do know they're not. They're, there's going to be a team willing to offer more. 100%. And then there's going to be a team that's willing to look at Julio Jones and say, we'll keep you beyond this Well, contract. here's the other like, thing with Julio. Like, I get it. It is a lot of money. But based on what the Falcons would still have to pay to give him away, he would be making $15 million this year, 11 and then 11 the next two years. Basically, he'd be on a three-year, $38 million contract. You know there, where that would put him in terms of receivers on average salary, about $13 million? 19th in the NFL. You're doing this thing though, man, and I'm trying to I'm trying to help you and if you don't want my help then that's fine, but just know that I'm coming from a good place here. I'm coming from a place of caring and, and love it. You're doing this thing where it's just like big name free agent Chiefs got to happen. Right? Pat you're doing this Patrick Peterson thing, this Jalen Ramsey thing. Now it's becoming the Julio Jones thing. I'm just doing this for your own good to lessen the blow when he goes to the Titans oh, no, or the Seahawks. Oh, no, I'm not expecting him to go there. But, I, but like, there's a difference there, right? Like, with Jalen Ramsey, you have to pay him to be the top corner in the NFL, and you're having to give up multiple but, first but Derek, picks, right? But, but, come on, man. If they could do it, if they could do it, and it's as easy as you're making it out to seem, and it's just about, like, okay, let's move some of this money around, we know for a fact there have been co- at least conversations. Like, somebody's kicked the tires. Brett Veach is like, I well, wonder what it would take. He's like, he sat down and down the numbers. You know he has. Yeah. So, either, if, if and if you're right, then he's saying, well, it will work. Then he's going, then we're going to do it. Because he knows, as well as us, how much of an impact adding a player yeah. like that would be to this offense. He knows that. But if they started crunching the numbers and he was like, oh, no, this won't work, then, like, that's why they're not going to do it. Well, I just think there probably would be a lot of planning to go into it that you have to take time to figure it out. And he's I mean, already got tea times made. Yeah, exactly. But, like, okay, Corey Davis is on a three-year $38 million deal. That's what you would have for Julio Jones, right? So I, I don't think the money is the biggest portion, to be completely honest. Uh, if Brandon Jacobs and Tim Tebow both made rosters in their return, Tim Tebow is on a roster right now, but if he made the final roster, Brandon Jacobs wants a shot on a roster as a defensive end now, then <laughs> running back turn defensive end quarterback turn tight end i want to start getting creative as to which former retired players you want to see come back change positions and what position would you like to see them play like for a lot of guys it's just like terrell owens physically looks like a guy who could still play wide receiver that it's not that exciting, though, because we see it with receivers a lot. Receivers are always the ones who are like, I want to come back and play another year, and then you realize, oh, you're not as fast as everybody else. Like, you can't really run a 4-4 anymore, and and that's somewhat problematic. Is there anybody that comes to mind? Is there any former player, retired, that you would like to see come back and play another position? Didn't Chad Ochocinco want to come back as a kicker? Yeah, I think he did. Um, but that wouldn't be that interesting to me. Uh 
I mean, Calvin Johnson is just like you think of a guy who retired early. He's, he owns a cannabis business now. He's got a yeah. He's fine. Yeah, but, he's doing great. But like, I want to see him come back. I don't know a position. He's not. Receiver. I want to see a non-quarterback come back and say, "No, I want to be the starting quarterback for the Giants" or something like that. You know what I mean? Like if like uh, they played quarterback in high school, they got even, switched to like a safety. I don't even college. need that. I just want a guy who said like, "No, I've just been working on it. Like I've been okay. I've been working on." My footwork and my step backs and sort of learning nuances of a pro style offenses. I don't know who would be a good candidate to do that. It'd have to be like a like a Michael Strahan type who just said, you know what, I like I'm ready for this opportunity. I don't really like it, man. I and the Tim Tebow stuff is is a headline, that's it. Brandon Jacobs wouldn't be a headline if it weren't for Tim Tebow. So I'm done with this the celebrity aspect of like this has kind of been a theme this week. I don't I don't want it. I'm done with it. Are they good? I'll ask you if a thing, team, place, person. If it's good, you tell me yes or no. Pay cuts. Mm. Are they good? No, pay cuts are awful. Pay cuts are the worst thing around. What about the NFL? No, the worst. Who Big took ben, a pay cut? Big Ben took a $5 million pay, pay cut. He said it was his idea to save the team some money. Oh, no, that's awful. It's like saying, I have. we're going to give you some money. Actually, we're going to give you less now. You know what I? You know what the best things are? Pay bumps. Mm. You were we were gonna give you this much, and now we're giving you even more. Which would you rather have? Would you rather have a pay cut or a pay bump? It's a simple question. But does it come with the Super Bowl? What if this five million dollars is like the difference? Remember when? Remember when Tom Brady was taking pay cuts in New Orleans? Like, oh, I'll take a pay cut so we can resign Wes Welker, and they took the pay cut, and Wes Welker was like. Yeah, I'm going to go to the Broncos. Did they give Tom Brady his money back, or was that a non-refundable transaction? No, it's it's all in a Swiss bank account somewhere. He got all that money. Are you sure about that? Ah, I feel pretty confident. Uh, Zach Ertz, he's on the trade block, too. It's been completely overshadowed by Julio Jones being on the trade block. So, Zach Ertz, trade talks, are they good? Well, no, they're non-existent, yeah. effectively. So, by default... The football society has deemed them to not be good. If they were any good, then we would be discussing them. Zach Ertz is, let's come on. Zach Ertz is another guy. Because if you want to say, well, he's he's probably like the fifth or sixth best tight end. Okay, that's not enough. He had a a really, really good run there for a couple years in Philadelphia. Uh, It was bad this past year. Not all on him. Got injured. But he's a 31-year-old tight end that's probably looking at his best football behind him. Like, Do you really think Zach Ertz is going to come out next year and catch 100 balls for 1,200 yards? No. He has 1,000-yard receiving season. So in order for you to move the needle as a tight end, you basically have to be one of three guys. And the third one like hardly moves the needle. It's like you got to be... Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, and then third is Darren Waller. It's like, okay, if Darren Waller were on the trade block, how many sports shows across the country are putting that in the lead to say, uh-oh, should we go, should our guys you know, go to Green Bay? Should we? Should the Packers sign Darren Waller? It's not that big of a deal. Like Kyle Pitts is probably the third or fourth best tight end just because we think he's going to be good. And he hasn't even done anything yet. So no, Zach Gertz trade talks are not good. The Texans' running back room features Rex Burkhead now that they just signed him, Mark Ingram, David Johnson, and Philip Lindsay. <laughs> Is that a good running back room? No, I mean, 
if you took all four of those guys at their best and you made like this sort of super running back. That'd be back, an awesome running back. That'd probably right? be yeah. pretty good, but uh, more isn't always more. Like sometimes more is less with running backs, especially when they're old running backs who all, once again, have seen their best ball. Like Mark Ingram, best balls behind him. David Johnson had one good year. Don't think it's going to be the resurgence for him. Burkett's 30 now. Is Philip Lindsay the best running back on the team? I think so. I think he I might feel be. Like he's kind of been overshadowed in his career. I mean, he's not like a great running back, but like. Well, yeah, he was really solid. And then all of a sudden, Melvin Gordon came in last year and became he's the starter. He's still producing just like average-wise, efficiency-wise. Yeah. But he's in his mid-20s, so I don't know. I It's not bad. Like, it's not an awful running back room. Like, who's even in the Jets running back room, you know? It's, it's not that bad. Uh, uh, but no, it's not. Good. Lamont. So, Michael P. Ryan. So Michael P. Ryan, they just drafted a guy. Michael Carter. Yeah, there you go. That's pretty rough. Couldn't name anybody else. Yeah, yeah. that's pretty rough. So it's not that bad, but no. Well, it's either. that bad. It's just not the worst. <laughs> uh, A.J. Dillon, you've seen this guy's legs, correct? The running yeah, back for the Packers. Packers running back. Yeah, we saw him uh, torch Kansas, Boston College, a couple years ago. Oh, we won that game, though. Yeah, that's He's right. Big guy. Uh, he has nicknames for his legs. One is Quadzilla. The other is the quad father. Mm, I like that a lot. Those are good. So those are good. Those okay. are good nicknames. And I think that anybody who's strong should should give their muscles nicknames. But it's even funnier for a skinny guy. <laughs> like, or a fat guy. Mm-hmm. The beer belly nicknames his, quad, his six packs. Yeah. Right? You know, he's got a different name for each abdominal muscle. Love people giving nicknames to their muscles. So that is objectively good. Better than... Kirk Cousins. No. We've... Gone through the gauntlet. There's only so many quarterbacks in the NFL. So, NBC Sports released their best returning coaches of 2021 list. Yes. We're going to do coaches. And the coach that came up number 17 on the list, which would be about in the middle of the NFL, was Ron Rivera. Okay. So, we're going to do better than Ron Rivera. Bruce Arians, not Bruce Arians, but Bruce Arians says he doesn't know how much practicing Tom Brady can do. And he's going to be more of a coach in next week's mandatory minicamp. So, if Tom Brady was a head coach, is he better than Ron Rivera? No. Ron Rivera has had success everywhere he's went. He's kind of like a poor man's Andy Reid in that it sort of just needed to end with the Panthers. Went to Washington, immediately had success. Now, not success in terms of, wow, that was a really good team, but success in terms of making it to the playoffs. Which, honestly, you could say, well, that's not going to happen every year. I don't know. It kind of happened every year. When he got hired in Washington, what did he talk about? He talked about all the times he won the division and went to the playoffs with the Panthers. But as we all know, a lot of those seasons were years when the NFC South just wasn't any good. And they were able to sneak into the playoffs at like 7-8. and eight. Or seven, eight, and one. They had a couple seven and nine years where they ended up winning the division. So that's all it takes for Ron Rivera. So no, Tom Brady's not good enough to be a seven and nine coach. Absolutely. Whoa. Not. Couldn't even be five hundred. No. Uh, number eleven on the list was Frank Reich. Is Frank Reich better than Ron Rivera? Hmm. Yeah, I think I'd rather have Frank Reich as my head coach. Frank Reich's only got what three seasons under his belt. Went to the playoffs, two of them. And maybe has his best football in front of him, right? There's been a lot of fluctuation at the quarterback spot. Andrew Luck was there, but he was often injured. Phillip Rivers for one year went to the playoffs. Now you get Carson Wentz. And we don't know how Carson Wentz is going to be, but I think Carson Wentz will be better than he was in Philly. I also think he'll be better than Phillip Rivers was last year. 
You combine those two things, that's another playoff season. That's three playoff appearances in four years for Frank Reich. That's better than Ron Rivera. If you're Washington, you would rather have Frank Reich as your head coach than Ron Rivera. Yes, I agree. Um, And he he uses the analytics a lot, which I appreciate. So, yeah, I would agree. Uh, Number 12 on the list, you wouldn't think he would be all the way down at number 12 based on if you just looked at the record. But Matt LaFleur. Two seasons, 13-3 both years. Got a playoff win both years. He took a big hit, I'm sure, on these rankings just because of that one decision. Just because he decided to kick a field goal in the NFC Championship game. Yeah, that one's going to hurt you just a little bit. But the success is there. The proof is in the pudding, as they say. It's sort of one of these things where if you're a team that's looking to get to the next level and compete for a title, you'd probably rather have Matt LaFleur. If you're a team like Washington, we're like, just make us relevant, make us relevant, establish some culture, and get this thing turned around, you'd probably rather have Ron Rivera. But if we're just judging you based off of Average team, name a team. Who'd you rather have? I'd rather have the one from an X's and O's standpoint that's going to be a little bit more progressive and a little bit more modern. That's where Matt LaFleur comes in, so I'd take him. Yeah, agreed. Uh, Last one, Urban Meyer. Is he better than Ron Rivera? Mm. Well, so far, all we know about Urban Meyer is that he drafted Trevor Lawrence. Good job there. You drafted a running back in the first round, Travis Etienne. Now you're uh, threatening to use him as a receiver. And... You hired Brian Schottenheimer as your offensive coordinator. Am I missing anything big? Oh, yeah, you signed Tim Tebow to be a tight end. So from personnel decisions, uh, there's quite a bit to be desired there. I have nothing to go off of with him. I think that he'll probably do a decent job of establishing a good culture there, but... Just one of those things where, like, if you're willing to draft a running back in the first round and you're willing to sign Tim Tebow to be a tight end, like, what else are you willing to do? <laughs> There's part of me that wonders if Urban Meyer is going to ruin Trevor Lawrence. You had Brian Schottenheimer. Like, when college coaches come in, usually they bring about this sort of modern age philosophy, and that's not what you're getting. Quite the opposite with Schottenheimer. So, uh, I'm, actually, I'm, I'm taking Ron Rivera with a bullet over Urban Meyer. Wow. I'm on the Urban Meyer train. Give me Urban. Who's older? You had a losing week last week. Yeah, that was bad. But before that, I think I went like 9-1 and one the previous two weeks, so I'm ready to bounce back. Atlanta head coach Arthur Smith or Philadelphia receiver coach Sanjay Lapp? Oh, Arthur Smith's in his mid-30s. I'll say Sanjay Lapp. Sanjay is 51. Arthur is 39. There we go. Buffalo wide receiver Stephon Diggs or Dallas linebacker Leighton Vanderesh. Oh, man. Diggs is late 20s, late in Vanderesh. Well, he played like seven-man football, didn't he? So is that like Mormon where you're actually 26 when you get, I don't know, where do you go to school? Boise State, that's kind of close to Mormon country. I'm going to say Landon, Leighton Vanderesh. Wow, a lot of assumptions there. Uh, it is Stephon Diggs who's 27, Leighton Vanderesh is 25. <sighs> New Jacksonville special team coordinator Nick Sorensen or former Jacksonville special team coordinator Brian Schneider. I'm going to say Sorensen, younger. Older. Older. Sorensen older. Sorensen is 42. Schneider is 50. Tennessee tight end Anthony Ferkser or Cincinnati safety Jesse Bates. Ferkser older for sure. 26. Bates is 24. This is for a winning week. Free agent running back Le'Veon Bell or Buffalo safety Jordan Poyer. We should know how old Le'Veon Bell is. 27, 28. I'll say Poyer's older. Le'Veon Bell's 29. Jordan Poyer is 30. Winning week. Back Winning on track, baby. Last segment. Where are they at? 
Former Jacksonville and Rams pass rusher Dante Fowler just got paid by an NFC team at the end of March. Three-year, $48 million deal after he had 11 and a half sacks in 2019. Where he at? Dante Fowler, you say? Yes. Miami. <laughs> Seattle. You had the right region of the country on your first guess. Atlanta. Huh. So that's where you at. And that's the NFL Whip Round. And this is Rock Chuck Sports Talk. Series sweep for the Royals over the Pirates. Ten runs last night, and this is fascinating. If you if you subscribe to David Lesky's Substack Inside the Crown, which by now you should be because we're quite a ways into the season, and this is the best place to get your content in your inbox every morning. You get this little nugget, which David sent out today. It's simple math, but seven runs on Monday. 10 runs last night. Those 17 runs are the third most they've scored in a series this year. And it was a two-game series. That is, um, in one regard, laughable. In one regard, quite encouraging that maybe this offense is coming around. David Lesky joins us now on the show. Is it safe to say, do you feel like this offense has turned a corner? If not, how would you characterize what we've seen from the Royals' bats lately? Well, they've been good. Um, I mean, double-digit hits in four of the last five games. They've scored some runs. Um, the funny thing about that stat, about the series runs, is I believe the opening day, 14 runs, is like the fifth most runs they've scored in a series season. <laughs> so that's not great. Um, but they scored 11 the next day, too. So that, that, that is the highest scoring series of the season, if you were wondering, that first one. Um, the other thing that I thought was weird, just side note, the first of the month, they scored double-digit runs, all three of them. Um, they've only done it one other time this season, but on April 1st, May 1st, and June 1st, double-digit runs. Anyway, um, I think the offense is it's looking better. Um, part of it is Whit Merrifield's hitting better, and he's at the top of the order setting the table for everything, so that's that's helpful. Part of it is Andrew Benintendi's been hot for, I don't know, like five weeks now. So <laughs> it's, it's kind of beyond a hot streak as much as just he's playing well. Salvador Perez continues to do his thing. Um, you know, getting Mondesi back for a few days was really helpful because I think it lengthens the lineup, and hopefully he's back pretty quickly. But they, they just seem to be putting better at-bats together. And then, I mean, some of it is, is just luck. For a long time, they were getting runners on every inning and couldn't find that big hit. And it didn't matter who was up. It wasn't like it was Nicky Lopez every time. I mean, Salvador Perez would pop up or – or it was Nicky Lopez, or Michael A. Taylor would swing through three fastballs. I mean, it doesn't matter. They just were not getting that hit. Now, now the hit's falling, and so that that's helpful too. But um, I don't know. They they look, they just look better. And part of it, the Pirates are really bad. I mean, they are they are they're awful. They're the team that didn't know you could just touch first for the third out of an inning. So that's 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 part of who they are. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think the offense looks a lot better, and 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 it's a uh, it's a good time to get going because they're not they're they're not so start and stop right now. Um, they've got the off day today, of course, but I think they only have maybe two more before the All Star break. So if they can get into a rhythm, they, they're not going to lose that rhythm anytime soon. Is this peak Salvador Perez? I don't know if we expected to see his best at age thirty one, um, but it certainly feels like this is the best we've seen from him. Yeah, I mean, it's count last season, too, if you put it all together. He was awesome last year offensively, obviously. But he's 
his, 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 he's, I think he's accessing his power better than ever before, and that includes last year. Um, I mean, he's never going to be able to take a pitch, but he, um, he's, he's driving the ball like crazy. I think we talked about this a couple weeks ago, or maybe more than that, but one of the biggest changes that he's made is driving pitches that he should drive and being able to identify those pitches a little bit better. And, and that's, you would think that would help with his play discipline. It hasn't, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, he's, he's hitting, he's hitting like crazy. It's, it's nice to see it's made it so that if a guy like MJ Melendez, who's having a phenomenal year in double A, by the way, um, if they, if they decide he's the catcher of the future, okay, well, those two catching and DHing make sense if they can both hit the way they have this season. So that, that's really helpful for the future. It's, it's been nice to see because hey, and most, most catchers don't get better at age 31. They're typically around the downswing. And, and 30 and 31 last two years for him, he seems to, he seems to have found another level. No, it's kind of interesting. When they gave him the, the contract extension in the offseason, I think with maybe the short-sighted view of it, was, okay, you give this guy a massive deal because he's your leader, right? He's the face of your organization. And there are people who could have said this then, but it's easier to say it now with this start to the season for him in the rear view and and seeing what he's doing. It's like, oh, you didn't just extend him because he's your your leader. He's extended him because he's your leader and he's your leader who happens to be your best player. Right. I mean, he's he's kind of a glue in the middle of the order. And you know, you could say Santana's the glue or Benintendi's the glue or, or whatever. They're, they're, they, have, they have a lot of glue, I guess. Elmer's factory is working pretty well here. But it's he, he he's a part. It's not just he's the, he's the rah-rah guy on the bench. He's he's a part of the team. I mean, he is, without Salvador Perez, I don't know where they would be. I mean, he leads the team in home runs. I don't think he's leading in RBIs. I think Santana still leads that. But even so, you know, he's Perez is producing runs. I mean, it's just he's doing – He's doing more than just leading, and and I think that uh, that that's that's valuable. Um, it's, it's a lot of money, but at the same time, you know, and I don't. I said this at the time. I don't think it will hamstring them on any potential deal in the future. So as long as that's the case, yeah, pay the guy who's done so much for the city and who continues to do so much for the team, and they need him. They need that guy in the lineup. Without him, they'd be. It'd be worse, and it's it, it, in the end, it's pretty simple, right? It does this person make the team better or worse? And he makes the team better, so it's a good investment. Talking to David Lesky here on Rock Chuck Sports Talk Seven, David. That is the amount of games we got to see Adalberto Mondesi in a Royals uniform in his uh, debut before once again getting a little injured. We'll, more on that later. Uh, let's go with what we saw, though. Those seven games for Adalberto Mondesi, what stood out to you? He looks like he did those last 22 games of last season when he was one of the best hitters in baseball. He was driving the ball from both sides of the plate to both fields. Um, I mean, it was it was just kind of a little bit of everything on the on the field. And then, yeah, you know, I, I go back to Monday night, and that was that was such a a, a good game for him. He. He had a single, and then he got to second on a wild pitch, and he – this wasn't talked about very much. I mentioned it in my article the other day, yesterday maybe. Um, he broke for third and had such a good jump that he was sliding into third as Edward Oliveira's hit the ball, which unfortunately happened to be in the air to the pitcher. So it was a double play, but that's just bad luck. Then he hit that long home run, and then he made the phenomenal play coming in in the eighth inning, which is where he – 
probably tweaked his hamstring. Um, just everything you want to see on a baseball field, except for working a walk, pretty much. Modest he did in seven games, and he showed he showed a little bit of everything. And like I said, from both sides of the plate. So it's obvious to see why he's such an important part of this team. Hopefully he can get back quickly. The, the news was encouraging, I thought, from what they said on uh, or yesterday yesterday before before the game, what Matheny said. So maybe he'll be in there tomorrow. Um, but he he kind of showed. Like this is a guy who is potentially your best player when he's on the field, and it's it's so similar to Byron Buxton in Minnesota, who can't seem to stay on the field either, and really looks like he finally put it together this season. And, you know, it, it's unfortunate for for the Twins and for Buxton that that he's had those issues, for the Royals and Mondesi that he's had those issues. Just it's the, the parallels of those two is really interesting, and you know, if, if the Royals can get the breakout that the Twins have gotten from Buxton. I think they'd be okay with 110 games a year. <laughs> if you can get that for 100, 110 games, you, you deal with it. But, you know, we'll see how fast he comes back from this one. I know there were a lot of eyes and expectations and in some cases pressure on him to return, not just because the Royals were you know trying to get back to 500, but just big picture what he means to the organization. So when you sort of look at the rest of the season and what you hope to get from him, health is got to be a big part of that right David because I know this looks like a minor one so we may look back at it as a a blip on the radar like oh he got nicked up he was fine and back a couple days later but it also feels a little bit emblematic of what has been the Mondesi experience in Kansas City so how do you sort of contextualize what he means to the organization what you want to see from him but also sort of uh, keeping his health right there in lockstep with that well, yeah, I mean, the, the cliche is that the best ability is availability. And, and Mondesi isn't always available because he's, he's got some injury issues. And, and the flip side of that, maybe I'm wrong here. Maybe, I'm, maybe this is unfair, but I feel like the Royals baby him. I feel like they are just so insanely careful with him that it, it ends up looking worse on him. Because everything that I know about the organization, about Mondesi, about the team, he wants to be out there as bad as anybody. The Royals want him out there. They love the team. Loves him. There's there's no there's no issue in the clubhouse or anything. I mean, it's it. I just feel like the organization sometimes maybe looks at that and goes, "Oh, your hamstring hurts. Let's sit you down for a couple of days." Whereas if Whit Merrifield came in and said, "Yeah, you know, I'm just I'm feeling a little bit of tightness here," and they say, "Well, can you play?" He'd say, "Yes, he'd be out there." And I, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm way off on that. But I think that's part of it. But you know, the reality is Mondesi probably has to push a little harder, too, if, if that's the case. Um, and he's so soft-spoken that that's maybe a little bit of an issue for him. He's, he's never going to be that verbal leader like, like Salvador Perez is. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he's got to be on the field. And, and I, think, I think the Royals have a good plan in place moving forward. It's not right now. And I think they look at the Astros. And we, we may have talked about this a little bit. But the Astros have Alex Bregman at third and Carlos Correa at shortstop. Carlos Correa does not play full seasons. <laughs> that is a guy who he, you're not going to get 150 games from him. And so the Astros have a shortstop playing third base who slides over in the games that Correa's out. And I think the Royals kind of see that parallel with Witt and Mondesi. Um, so, again, it's not right now, but next year probably I think makes sense. So I think they have a plan in place, but still, you want to you have this guy who's electric on the field as much as possible. And, and, he, you know, it's 53 games right now, and he's been on the field for seven of them. <laughs> that's, that's not enough. It's, he needs to be on the field more. And 
Yeah, I mean, hope, like I said, hopefully he's back out there tomorrow or Friday. And and like you said, it's just a – you look back on the season and you go, oh, I can't remember why he took two days off then because it, it's so unimportant. But it, we'll see. The history shows that it ends up taking a little longer than you expect with him. And that's that's not a great idea for, for an organization to have to count on that. But, you know, he's also potentially their best player. So it, it, there's just this whole it, – it's very difficult to, to figure out what, what's the best route to go with him. David, ever since Chris Bubich has entered the starting rotation, he's been uh, pretty spectacular. Where where do you sort of view him, big picture, as a guy who it was impressive in spurts, like showed the flashes last year, started in the bullpen. Ever since he's got that opportunity in the rotation, um, he looks like he's been one of, if not the best starter that the Royals have had. So what do you kind of do with what you're getting from him right now other than just ride it and, and see how long it goes? Well, the thing about Bubic that is, is really nice is he is so smart on the mound. Um, he, he's a guy who he will find every edge. Uh, the stuff isn't as good as some people. I mean, he has, he has great changeup, and his curveball when it's on is fantastic. But his fastball is low 90s, right? It's, it's not elite. And there's, like I've talked about with Jacob Junis before, there's less margin for error when you're throwing 91, 92, than when you're throwing 96, 97. I mean, it's pretty obvious, but at the same time, he has such a good feel for pitching that it doesn't surprise me that he's pitched so well. Um, I think we talked last season that you could look at any of these guys and say, this is the best of the bunch. And, and Bubich, I mean, he may end up the best of the bunch because he's just such a smart pitcher that he's, he's able to get by with, with, the great changeup and the ability to fool hitters. And I mean, ultimately, and this is an issue that I have with Brady Singer sometimes. Pitching really comes down to changing eye level and changing timing. It, it's like most things in baseball; they're very simple but very hard. And what Chris Bubich does really well, he changes timing and he changes eye level. He makes it difficult to hit. You can't if you can't guess where the pitch is going to be, and then when it comes in it's three miles per hour slower than you expect. You're going to see some ugly swings like you see from Bubich, and he does a really good job of that, which, I mean, tells me that I think he, you know, he's not going to maintain a one-and-a-half ERA, I don't think. Um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't bet much money on that. But I, I do think that he can continue to be a quality starting pitcher, I mean, not just for the next few months, but for the next few years for this team because he's, he really he just understands pitching so well that it, it, it that's a huge advantage to have on the mound. Yeah, maybe this is a dumb question, but with the with the fluctuation that we see in the rotation, I I feel like it's worth asking. Like this guy's gonna be a starter until his production deems him not being a starter. Correct? Uh, I mean, generally yes. The the only thing that I'll say to that is again, this is a season after a short season and the Royals will be careful with innings. And part of that's, I think that's part of what they, they were so quick to send him down for uh, at the start of the season was saying, Hey, look, you're going to sit for a month at some point. <laughs> it doesn't matter if it's April or July. So let's get your mechanics figured out and all that. And then you'll come back and he pitched, you know, he pitched two innings in relief. And then he kind of got, got into that long relief role. So there could be a time when they back off him, even if he is effective. Um, but in general, yeah, I mean, this is, He's in the rotation now. This is it's his spot to lose moving forward. Um, outside of the random, we're going to give you two weeks off because you only threw fifty-one innings last year, whatever it was. He's David Lesky. You can check out his work at RoyalsReview.com. Subscribe to his Substack, Inside the Crown. David, great stuff as always. Thanks for joining me again this week, man.
Definitely. Thanks, Nick.